Well, open with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be ending our series. Uh, One more thing to announce. So many things to announce. But next Sunday, we're going to begin a new seven-week series called Spiritual Disciplines. I am thrilled. I am excited. I am praying. We will talk about you know, how to set up your life, how to get some habits in your life that can bless your heart and help you grow in godliness. So that's next week. And today is the last of our uh, Joy in Christ series. Uh, so Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, and I'm going to start reading. But before I do that, I want to pray with you. God, thank you so much for blessing us this morning. Thank you so much that you have given us this opportunity to gather and Lord, I pray that this time would be worthwhile. Our enemy is a roaring lion, but our king is a lion of Judah. And all the things that this enemy is trying to do to deceive us and destroy us stands no chance, God, when you put your hand of favor and anointing on us. So I pray that this book, this holy Bible, would speak to us, this scripture and would bless us. And God, just bless us. In your name we pray, amen. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul is in prison writing a letter of thank you to the church of Philippians who have sent aid to Paul. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to bless me. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's that secret? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. That's what when the speaker says, say hi to each other. We're actually following the Bible. The brothers who are with me, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Hey, have you ever fallen for the wrong solution? You fell for the wrong solution. Now, around this time, 
it being a new year, we have some things called uh, resolutions. Has anybody failed the resolution already? It's the second, guys. It's the second. I was asking if you failed, not if you have resolutions. Um, but uh, one of the things that I, happens to me all the time is, you know, you assess your health around this time, and you are not that satisfied with your health around this time. So you decide that the reason, the problem of why I am not healthy, the problem and the solution is... And every one in five Americans fall for this gym membership. So I've tried this solution a number of times. And so I've always fell for this solution. Like I'm not happy with my state of health, so I get a gym membership. Except, have you noticed that it's only busy on the first couple of weeks? Like the first time you sign up, you know, you go all out, you spend three, four hours, you go to sauna, you go to jacuzzi, you go to the pool, you socialize with everybody, you post on Instagram, social media, it takes literally three, four hours at the gym, you're annoying all the real gym devotees and religious people, and, uh, but then, you know, the next day you cut it in half, and at some point you really fall off the map, and, and really, we know that one in five Americans signs up to the gym membership, and most of us don't go. Most of us don't go. In fact, if everybody who subscribes to a gym membership came, there would be no room in your gym. The whole gym enterprise assumes your failure. That's the only way it works. But I fell for the solution over and over and over. One time, I bought this uh, membership up front at Costco for a whole year or two years. I'm like, that's it. That's going to solve it for me. Now that I have paid for it up front, I will obviously go to the gym. I mean, that would be a huge waste of money, only that I didn't live up to it. Have you ever fallen for the wrong solution? Because the problem here would be something else, maybe laziness, passiveness, not structuring your life. But here's a question I have for you. What do you do when you find yourself unsatisfied. When you find yourself not content, when you find yourself worried, when you find yourself uneasy and having no peace. You see, when we find ourselves in this land, let's just call it, call it a place of need, we often fall for the wrong solution. Because in a place of need, we often believe that the way I get out of this is to get into a place of abundance. If I am in need, if I'm searching for something, I'm unhappy, I think that my solution to my unhappiness will be for me to go from need to abundance. If I am in a place of less, I need to go to a place of more. If I'm in a place of worse, I need to go to a place of better. If I'm in a place of need, I need to come to a place of acquisition. And if I'm in a place of just unhappiness with the usual, I believe that if I can just have something else, I will be finally satisfied but better 
but more, but acquisition, but something else is not where you find contentment. It's not where you find satisfaction. See, the world offers us precisely this. I was thinking of Googling some ads. So I Googled an ad where happiness is promised with a subject, with an object. So I have a Porsche for you to show. And look what it says. Have you noticed how ads don't give you information? They're trying to sell you on satisfaction, on happiness. And it so happens that your happiness is attached to the thing they're advertising. So here this Porsche is just a wonderful beauty. And it says you may get lost, but not in the crowd. What is it trying to sell you there? That your happiness is the approval of everyone in the parking lot. And by the way, that's, that kind of car will get you approval from a lot of people. I will ask you for a ride in that car. But it is. See, we live with this false idea that my joy, my happiness, my satisfaction is in a place of abundance. I have one more for you, Ad, because I thought this was ridiculous. Look at this ad right here. It's a Microsoft Office 365 subscription. And look at the picture. What is it trying to sell you? A family! Microsoft Word, Microsoft PowerPoint, Microsoft presentation. You buy this, pro- uh, whatever it is, this suite. And man, we're promising you happiness. This kind of family. But here's something super important I want you to catch. The world tries to sell us on the idea that contentment and something of this life go hand in hand. When Paul tells us something really, really powerful, notice in verse, and today's sermon is about being content, finding the true contentment in Christ. Notice in verse 11, Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and in need. Here's something I want you to catch, church. Whether you're in a place of need or in a place of abundance, you still need to learn to be content in Christ. Because the place of abundance does not offer you contentment. Notice how Paul says, in need or in plenty, in hunger or in abundance, and even in abundance, I still yet have to learn to be content. And this is why we all know this never works. This solution never works. Finding contentment through getting something never works. You know, I went to Mount Rainier once, and we hiked up this mountain, and it was not, not the mountain, the view on the side of the mountain, but still a hike, and we went, and I was so, so excited. We got our camera, we got our picnic and everything, and when we got to the top, there was a fog just hanging out there. That's a great picture of how the promises of better, of more, of something else, 
end up just being a whole lot of discouragement. Because contentment is not the property of abundance. Contentment is found somewhere else. Can I tell you the most amazing news for you right now? Is you, contentment doesn't have to wait. Maybe you're unsatisfied with your life. You're unhappy with what's going on. And I have a promise here for you. You don't have to wait to be content. The second false solution we settle for is in a place of need where I am unhappy, I settle for destructive tendencies. I'm unhappy, endless scrolling on social media. I am unhappy, binge-watching Netflix. I am unhappy, I'm watching something I shouldn't be. I am unhappy, it's alcohol. I am unhappy, it's living a life that God has called me not to live. The third solution we, 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 we settle for is when we are unsatisfied, and this is the world's solution. This is about as good as the world can get. They ask you to go within. Find contentment within. Slow down. Write three things in the morning that you're thankful for. Detach yourself from certain things. I don't know what the, what the advice is. Some of, it, some of the advice may be good. But here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, the solution is not within. The solution is out there. How do we find satisfaction in Jesus when it's not abundance that works? It's not the destruction that works. And it's not looking within that works. But how do we find contentment and satisfaction in Jesus? Because Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our satisfaction. Jesus is our way to being content. But I know what you're thinking. Man, so true and yet so unhelpful. You ever, I don't know, I've been in church all my life. I was born in church. It's probably, you know, like all my life I've been in church. And I've gotten used to preachers and just spitting out interesting things, right? One of them is we offer Jesus as a solution. And so we'll say something like, oh, man, your marriage is on the rocks. Bro, Jesus. Somebody is anxious. Jesus. Somebody is addicted. Jesus, and that is so true and at the same time unhelpful because what we really want to know is, okay, help me see this. Help me make sense of Jesus. Help me understand Jesus, and that's what I hope in the next 17 minutes to do is to help you make sense of Jesus as the true solution to our discontentment. For Paul, Jesus was absolutely everything. I wrote, I went through the first four chapters, and I didn't even do a lot of hard work. You can do this. And I want you to, I want you to see how important Jesus is, this person is to Paul. His relationship with Jesus, the kind of relationship he has and we will see how the secret to contentment has everything, everything to do with Jesus. 
Paul begins his chapter one with peace that's from Jesus. Then he speaks of confidence in Jesus, that Jesus will bring the work of the gospel to completion. Then he says, I'm praying for you, the church, to know Jesus more and more. And that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Then he speaks of, I am in chains for Jesus. While in chains, I got to talk about Jesus to the guards. I rejoice. Some preach Jesus from selfish ambition, but Jesus is preached. I rejoice. This is all Paul writing. I may be executed here in prison, but that means eternal life with Jesus. I may be let out of prison, but this means a fruitful life for the glory of Jesus, and I can't choose between the two. It's a privilege to suffer because of Jesus. Be humble like Jesus. Knowing Jesus is worth more than anything. I consider everything as lost so that I may know Jesus. I'm pressing on to win the prize of eternal life with Jesus. We're eagerly awaiting a Savior to come from heaven. God gives the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding. Anywhere you look with Paul, you'll find at the center of it, Jesus. You look at his hope, Jesus. You look at his confidence, Jesus. You look at the suffering he's going through, he sees Jesus. He looks at opportunities that may come, he sees Jesus. Jesus, for Paul, is absolutely everything. No wonder Paul can say, I'm content. Because he finds his contentment in the Savior he knows so well. Question I want to ask you today is how is your relationship with Jesus? We often treat Jesus as a byproduct. We treat Jesus as something I'll do on Sunday. But Jesus here for Paul was like everything. Like you cannot exaggerate when I say everything. And yet Paul says something really interesting. And he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned the secret of facing plenty. Let me, the next few minutes we're going to speak on is on being content as something we learn. We often think that in Christianity, if you pray for something, God will just miraculously give it to you. Now, is that true? It's absolutely true. But oftentimes, what we think is a moment is actually a process. Right? So we think like, God, give me wisdom. And we imagine that we hook up to God through Bluetooth and God just downloads wisdom to our minds and then all of a sudden we have clarity, we know what to do, but really you pray for wisdom and God asks you to open his word and study. You pray for wisdom and God asks you to get in a community group where you can hear advice. God asks you for wisdom, you ask God for wisdom and God asks you to humble yourself. That's how God works. And we look at this idea or this promise of being content 
as a pill. But Paul here speaks of a process of learning. Okay, if Jesus is everything and my contentment will be in him, how do I learn? What do I need to learn to be content in my life? I want to give you three things. If we step back and look at Paul's writing in all of the Philippians and other writings, three things that we need to learn about contentment in Christ. Number one, we need to learn how to go to Jesus. Now that sounds simple, but what I have here in mind, you know, when we bought a home in Covington, my parents live in Auburn, and every time I would drive for the longest time on Highway 18, just naturally, I took the wrong exit. My house was two exits down from on Highway 18. My parents' exit was two exits up on Highway 18. And so I would just be driving, and if I wasn't thinking, the route I would take would always lead me to an exit for my parents' house, even though my house was down the road, and so I have to get back on Highway 18. But I was programmed and route in a way where I just took that exit every single time. Right now, Hugh and I, we have a pro- we're programmed. That when my heart is uneasy, I'm taking an exit to alcohol. When my heart is uneasy and I'm not satisfied with life, I'm taking an exit called striving for acquisition. But what we got to learn is to go further. And in a moment of trial, temptation, need, dissatisfaction, discontent, I learned to go to Jesus. It's so simple, but we don't do it. We settle for other options. We settle for Google. We settle for something else, but we don't truly go to Jesus. Every discontent. Listen, what if we did this? Come on, Mercy. What if we did this? When you are unhappy with something in life, dissatisfied with something in life, what if we treated that as an opportunity to run to Christ? What if we treated that as a light on your dashboard? You know when it says check engine, right? Check engine, check engine, something's wrong, something's wrong, and we realize I don't lack something. I'm lacking a depth of relationship with Christ. In my need, my need is not really the thing, my need is greater joy in Christ. We often just want to turn off that light, go into the fuse box and remove it and let the check engine light go off, but that's not solving it. Learning to go to Jesus. Today you're going to be on social media. It's very likely, I think so, I'll tell you a little story about myself, that you will be uh, tempted to compare You'll be tempted to see how far you're off. You'll be tempted to see how you're not as beautiful. You don't have as much. You know, I even got to tell you about myself, get a little real here. But one of the things that really, really, really gets me down is preachers on YouTube, churches on YouTube. And I'll be honest with you guys, 
it takes me about 15 minutes watching some church, and I'm like, God, what about us? Like, I think our church is super blessed. I do. I believe God's favor is on us. I do. I believe that our worship is anointed. I do. I think our fellowship's amazing. I do. I hope you believe the word is good. I, I really think so. And I'm thinking like, God, how come those churches are like buying buildings? How come those churches are like packed out? Now you could say, dude, relax. It's only been three months. But it doesn't matter to me in that moment. You can so easily fall for discontentment. It's so easy to compare. It's so easy to grow envious in your life. But what if in that moment, that check engine, that discontent, I said, you know what? Never mind, never mind, never mind. I'm running to Jesus. You know what, God? I I don't know where this leads me, but I know you're going to be my joy. I don't know exactly how this works, but but, but I'm going to put my bet on you. Number one, learn to go to Jesus. It's as simple as prayer. It's as simple as disciplining your thought life to focus on Christ. It's as simple as not submitting to the false solution. Now, the second thing we need to learn is how to apply Jesus to my present circumstances of need. You can know everything the Bible says and somehow, come on, fail to connect how it relates to your life. Isn't that true? Like, (laughs) amen. You can know that God loves you and not connect it to your tomorrow morning. But the learning is to see how Jesus and who he is and what he has applies to my circumstance. Like, yes, the very circumstance that I'm in. What do I have in Christ? Citizenship of heaven. What do I have in Christ? Forgiveness. What, who is Jesus? He's a sovereign God who is in control of my life. Who is Jesus? He's a treasure greater than all. Now, is that true? Now, imagine applying that to your circumstances, in your situation. Let me give you an example. I think the greatest problem One of the greatest problems, the greatest problem, that would be way too much. But one of the problems is that when worry shows up in my life, the promises of God don't. I'm talking about my mind, my thinking. When dissatisfaction comes in, the truth that God is in control and more loving than me more loving than I love my life, doesn't show up. Have you heard of FOMO? Fear of missing out. It's a terrible root of so much unhappiness. But when FOMO shows up, the fact that we're citizens of an amazing kingdom to come doesn't. 
when the promises and the riches of this world tempts me, the treasures of Christ don't. They don't show up. Let me tell you what applying what we know about God to our circumstances looks like. It looks like wrestling. And so when worry shows up, I start thinking and believing and praying that God who is in control, that's true. And so these two ideas or these two things, they fight it out, but I don't submit. I let them wrestle. And we wrestle worry into submission so that I can have peace in the fact that God is in control and loves me. When I am fearful of missing out, maybe I really want a husband. I want a wife. I want children. I want to have a job that I can travel the world. And I am terrified that somehow I will be cheated out of this kind of life. And I am fearful of missing out. Well, when that happens, the fact that I am citizen of heaven, I start thinking about that. And I let these two ideas or truths or whatever they are fight it out. And I don't submit to the thought that I'm going to fear of fearing of missing out. I know that in when Jesus shows up and in that new life, I will be more happy than ever that the kingdom, the treasures, the wealth that the kingdom of God offers is far superior to the best pleasures of this world. Like we have missed, I don't know what it is, and I've actually struggled to figure this out, but we have lived, we're living in a place where heaven doesn't really excite us. New Jerusalem doesn't really excite us. It probably is a reason because of the abundance that we have. But that's something to wrestle with. It's learning to apply the promises of a life to come to my fears of missing out. When the world promises treasures of wealth, you start recognizing, praying, realizing, wrestling with the fact that Jesus is the greatest treasure. And when you start realizing that Jesus is the greatest treasure and that treasure is yours today, that treasure is yours now, you can stare down the temptations of treasures of this world. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. I just want to show you this. This is such a powerful passage. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Moses refuses the pleasures of sin because he was growing up in Egypt as a son of Pharaoh's daughter, he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth, than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. When you are absolutely stunned by the treasures that Jesus has, you can overcome the distractions of this world. So it's learning to apply Jesus to your present circumstances. And number three, it's learning 
to run to Jesus with our needs and our desires. It's making our requests be made known to God. Now, quick, quickly, when we talk about being content, I don't mean be content if you are in relationships that are harmful, abusive. I don't mean to be content with your sin. I just wanted to put it out there. But here's a question I have. How do we make, how, do, how are we content and at the same time, do, how do we have needs? Because those two things seem to like contradict each other. Being content means you're satisfied. And bringing your request to God means you have needs and desires. Now those two things look like they're contradictory. But both are commanded. You can be perfectly content and have desires and needs. Now, how does it work? Now, I'll tell you one thing. Number one is both are commanded. We are to be content and we are to make our requests known to God. Contentment doesn't mean you don't have any needs. But just because you have needs does not mean I can't be content. In fact, not only are both commanded, but I have thought this through, I think that contentment actually helps our desires. Quick, quickly. If we are content, content allows us to desire well. It's kind of like a quality control on our desires. It allows us to look at our needs and our wants and say, ah, actually, I don't need that. Actually, that's not really a want I have because I'm in a place of satisfaction with Jesus. Number two, contentment allows us to desire stuff on others' behalf. Think about this, and we don't have time right now, but in Philippians chapter four, Paul wanted the Philippian church to help him, not because he was in need, but his desire was that by helping him, they would add to their credit. His desire was the efficacy, the faithfulness of the Philippian church. I have learned that most of the time, I know desire only for me. If you ask me, what do you desire? I would list off 100 things, and it would be all about me. Do you know how you desire for others? Others' welfare? You're concerned with others? When you're content. When you start being satisfied in Christ, in a place of peace, where your heart is easy, then you start to desire good things also for others. I also have found that contentment gets us ready for God's yeses. It allows us to enjoy God's gifts. You know why? Because we don't expect too much out of those gifts. When we're satisfied in Christ, we can enjoy stuff for what it is. I was thinking of an analogy and it just popped out of my head. But when we are content, 
we can say, God, this house you have given me, I'll enjoy it for what it is. I don't expect it to do something it's not supposed to do. I'm satisfied in you. I can enjoy your gift without putting too much expectation on it. Contentment also gets us ready for God's no's without breaking our faith. Sometimes when God says no to our prayers, it wrecks us. We start questioning his goodness, his love. And you know how we prevent that? By first and foremost, learning to be satisfied in Christ, in his promises, in who he is, and what we have in him. And therefore, when God says no, my heart is already not attached to that thing. It's attached to Jesus. So we see how contentment helps our needs, purifies our needs, enjoys the, the things God gives us. But also I have found that when we bring our needs to God, we learn to be content. When we learn, make our requests known to God, we learn to be content. Because when we make our requests known to God, here's literally what's going on. You ready? You're taking your burden and you're transferring it to God. You're giving God your burden. You know, we know how to rely on people. We all do. Uh, maybe some of you have trust issues, but we more or less know how to rely on people. If I ask my friend or so-so-and-so to pick me up at the airport, I don't worry about that. How much more can we rely on our God? How much more can we trust our God when we ask him to help us? One beautiful thing I know about prayer is I wrote this down for myself today because it just, it wrecked me. If I ask God, I'm in for the best answer. If I ask God, I'm due for what is best. Think about that. Whatever your need is, and you have some needs, except not all of you are bringing it to God. You're not. What is your need right now? If you bring it to God, I promise you one thing, God will not ignore it. This night, I, was, I woke up at 3 a.m., holy man, and I was terrified of not having church service. What's interesting is, you know, the district uh, did reach out to us at around, you know, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., whether we're having service, and I didn't respond, so I woke up at 3 a.m. and responded that, yes, we're having church, um, except that I wasn't sure that they got it or that they would actually open the service. And boy, I was so defeated. I was so upset. I was just like, oh, no, like, what if we don't have service? And, and you know, I care about this kind of thing. It's my, my life here. And in that moment, I realized, I, I just, I, I prayed. I brought my need to God. And I realized, there's no way God's going to ignore it. If I ask God, I am due for the best answer. That answer may not be the answer I want, 
But that answer will be glory to his name. That answer will be my good somehow, some way. I don't know. That answer will be good for you in the Mercy Church. If I ask God, if I ask God, I am due for the best answer. I want to invite you, church, as you look at your needs, as you look at your requests, as you look at your desires, and they're just stealing joy from you. Bring him to God, truly. I want to encourage you this year, make it a year of prayer for you. Bring it to God. And if you ask God, you are due for the best answer. And that's why you can be content. <laughs> if I know I'm due for the best answer, I don't know you can, if you can convince me of something better. I know God has me. Learning, learning to be content. We go to Jesus. We learn to reroute our thinking. When I'm unhappy, when I'm unsatisfied, I'm running to Jesus. Learning to do that over and over, over and over, over and over. You're on social media. You're unhappy. Come to Jesus. You're comparing yourself with somebody. You're unhappy. Come to Jesus. You look at your life and you wish for something else and you're unhappy. Come to Jesus. Learning to come to Jesus. Number two is learning to apply Jesus to my present circumstances. It's learning to live with his promises and have them overpower my worries, my lack, my need, my concerns. Number three, it's learning to run to Jesus with our needs and desires and knowing that we are due for the best answer, finding peace. Finding peace. This last piece of my sermon wants to answer the question of how. How? How did I learn to do this, Eugene? Verse 13 gives us the secret. Now, this is the most misquoted verse ever. People quote this passage and believe they can become a billionaire through the stock market. People quote this passage to believe that they'll have their talent become like the next amazing singer. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus provides the strength. As you and I learn to be satisfied in him. Jesus provides the strength as you and I learn to be satisfied in him. When I'm confronted with something unhappy, Jesus is there with his strength to help me focus on him. When I forget about his promises or I have a hard time making sense of his promises and how they apply to my life. Jesus gives us the strength to apply his promises to my life in my present circumstance. Jesus gives me the strength not to give up 
and to continually come with, to him with my needs and my requests. Yeah, part of the answer is supernatural. That's the Christian answer. We're not called to figure God out. We're called to trust God. And I want to invite you, church, this year for it to be a year of peace and quiet and contentment, but that you would aim yourself at Jesus, the true satisfaction, and that you would learn the secret and that God, Jesus, would give you the strength to do so. If you could bow your heads with me.